0: Now, here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back with Jeffrey Smith. Jeffrey, why are they genetically altering Mother Nature? Isn't that dangerous?
1: (laughs) You know, there's a long history, George, of the narrow-minded and arrogant scientist that completely misunderstands and misdirects the attention and technology. I mean, it used to be that we thought that one gene would create, one protein would create one trait, and this was the, it's kind of like the the Star Trek, the prime directive of the the biology world, and that turned out to be completely untrue. When they found out that there was only about 23,000 genes in the Human Genome Project, they realized there's a lot more proteins, over 100,000, so something must be different. And every year, we get more and more complex understanding, and yet the technology relies on old, obsolete assumptions. And I'm going to share with you what I learned today from Dr. Michael Antonio, who is this uh, expert in human genetic engineering. Okay. And he introduced me to something which had just slipped below my awareness. And it turns out there's, a, there's an understanding or a theory that for complex traits, it's not one gene. It's not a group of genes, but it's the entire genome that there. Even our height, for example, which we used to think, oh, there's a particular gene that determines how tall you are. Well, there's now a theory that it's actually every single gene working together in concert determines things like how high, how tall you are or certain types of diseases. Now, the implications of this are amazing. First of all, it means that you're not going to be successful altering a single gene and then expecting it to get your desired result. So this whole concept that they can control nature uh, and control an organism by manipulating one or just a few genes, they're going to come up short. But what it means more importantly to me is that when you do alter a single gene, since the entire genome is involved in some cases with certain traits and certain diseases, then you may be influencing a vast number of traits. Now, when you insert a gene into the genome, typically when something is functioning naturally, it's like there's a conductor at the front of the orchestra pointing to different instruments. This is where you come in, this is where you come out. So genes will produce proteins when they're needed in the amount that are needed, and then they will stop. But with genetic engineering, we haven't figured out how to use the intelligence of the cell. So they put in promoters, things that cause the gene to shout at full volume, 24-7. Now imagine that same analogy where you have a conductor conducting an orchestra, but instead of a violin, the first violin, now you have a very loud and brash kazoo, as loud as you can possibly make it, destroying every single piece of music that happens out of that orchestra. In other words, the problem is that when you genetically engineer something like that into a system, you can have side effects that run through, in the case of a human, mood, behavior, uh, lifespan, height, eye color, all different things that might be complex genetic traits, and we have no way to even evaluate that now, let alone protect someone from those changes. So We're, we're dealing with we're babes in the woods in terms of GMOs, but it's, it's a very lucrative proposition. Monsanto, before it was sold to bear for $66 billion, largely as a result of their genetic engineering plus their rounded mm-hmm. herbicide. So there's a lot of money to be made. There's a lot of control to be made. There's people that expect that genetic engineering can be used as a weapon, where you can turn on and off the yields of an enemy's crops through genetic engineering. And, of course, you can certainly genetically engineer diseases to have even more severe effects. So there's a race for control, there's a race for dominance, and it's a race based on a technology that is that is in itself based on false assumptions.
0: I'm not sure that bare investment in Monsanto was a good idea. What do you think?
1: Well, you know, when they lost, when Monsanto lost the trial of Lee Johnson in August, when the jury awarded johnson 289 million dollars which
0: was reduced right It was
1: reduced to 78 million is true but nonetheless the bear capitalization in the stock market dropped uh, first 15 then 20 and then 30 percent
0: and there are more lawsuits coming
1: absolutely in fact i was just at the opening statements uh, a couple of weeks ago in san francisco of the first federal trial now it's interesting in this one george that the, the judge was absolutely uh, insulting to the plaintiff's attorney. First of all, the judge had decided to do something which was extremely rare. and They said, they said we're going to divide the, the trial into two parts. And the first part, you can't mention anything about how Monsanto has tried to rig their research or affect the regulatory approvals of, of Roundup. You can only talk about the science. Now, as someone who's been teaching people how to speak on GMOs, I've taught about fifteen hundred people through our, our our speaker training, which is available at responsibletechnology dot org. I explain that it's absolutely essential to show how Monsanto and other biotech companies rig their research, threaten scientists, ignore uh, problems, cover up serious issues, and only then will we have the credibility. When we can show that Monsanto and also their enforcement ring in Washington, the FDA, have no credibility. But the judge stripped the plaintiff of that opportunity, and then when the plaintiff was simply presenting basic facts, once he dismissed the jury, he laid into her saying, You purposely crossed the line, and I'm going to sanction you. And he ended up finding her. $500 Jeez. and then later said that it she he her steely she he used the word steely her steely reaction to his fine proved to him that she had done it on purpose because she didn't react intensely so she he the judge must have known is what he said that she was actually purposely crossing the line which was totally ridiculous They
0: got the wrong judge this guy sounds like he's already made up his mind
1: Well it turns out he used to work for a law firm that was Monsanto's, that Monsanto was their client. And that uh, it was at the, the time when in this law firm, it was at Covington and Burling.
0: He should step w- down.
1: Yeah. I think so. And the thing is, this law firm sent letters to all the U.S. dairies telling them that they can't label their products as free from Monsanto's bovine growth hormone, which was a big, heavy-handed uh Program. They also worked for the tobacco industry, and a judge in Minnesota ruled that the firm was willfully disregarding court orders to turn over documents about the 40-year tobacco industry. And then under the Obama administration, when the Obama campaign got $340,000 from the people working at this this, uh, law office, that former members of that law, including Attorney General Eric Holder and Deputy Chief of Staff Daniel Suleiman, took high positions like the attorney general and the deputy chief of staff. And then, of course, uh, uh, Judge Chabria got his position as a judge um, you know, from, from being an attorney. So there's a lot of questions about this guy. And so right now they have finished phase one of the trial, and the jury is deliberating. So every day I'm waiting to hear the news that the, there is a verdict.
0: Well, they can't deliberate forever, so it should be coming down soon.
1: It's true. They started on Wednesday. They took, off. they took a day off on Thursday. So the fact that it's taking this long is very interesting to me, because I was there for the opening arguments. I've been following different components of it. And it's clear that uh, the, the judge's interference with the truth may result in a, in a negative verdict, but if it's that, if it's the case, then I certainly would hope that the plaintiff appeals and 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 exposes the judge's actions to the uh, higher levels of judge.
0: Did you see where scientists have genetically modified mosquitoes in order to battle malaria?
1: Not only that, it was the Bill Gates Foundation that's been investing heavily oh, into that.
0: This could be a danger. This well, could backfire.
1: It's, it's to me. You know, I was at the um, UN. Uh, uh, convention on Biological Diversity, and I got to hear some people who were pitching this. Uh, you see, there's something called gene drives. Now, we just talked a few minutes ago about how you can genetically engineer individual uh, species and release them, and it causes havoc in the environment. But this is purposely causing havoc in the environment. Typically, when, when the male and female of a species mate, then half of the offspring get one trait or the other half get another trait. Gets, it gets diluted out. With gene drives, it turns out that every offspring gets the trait that you've set up because it trans- it's there in, every, in each chromosome. It gets transferred to all the offspring. And so they want to create a program through gene drives, where they can literally kill off an entire species. And so they're making an excuse, for example, that certain islands didn't have rodents until they came in the hulls of ships. So let's introduce gene drives to kill all the rodents in the island. Well, if the ships brought the rodents to the island at some point, then you genetically engineer the the rodents and a ship might carry it to the mainland, and then you've just wiped out the entire rodent population. Or, because there's genes that can switch on and switch off and become silenced, you may end up with changes that you never expected, and you may end up with some kind of Franken rodent that's quite dangerous. Now, in the case of these, of these malaria, they want to genetically engineer to create the, the, uh, females so that they're more, they're more like males. Or actually, the males, they are females, so they're more like males, and so they can't bite. And they also are largely sterile. So they're wanting to eliminate the type of mosquito that carries malaria. I've
0: always wondered why God created the mosquito in the first place,
1: Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's, it's true that, that we don't like the mosquito, so it might be a good public relations exercise for them to bring that out as the first gene drive. However, insects as a whole... Are quite important. They have, they have, they keep alive part of uh, the environment, part of the ecosystem. And I don't know if you if you read the report recently last year where or last month where the number of insects is plummeting so much it can create an entire catastrophic global extinction. On, and they're blaming it on an industrial scale intensive agriculture, and the numbers are astounding. They got forty. Percent of insect species are declining, and a third are endangered. The the total mass is dropping 2.5% a year, suggesting that the entire insect population could vanish within a century.
0: I mean, what happens if they create by accident a six-inch mosquito, and they're all over the place attacking people like little monsters?
1: I talked to a scientist at Oxitec, which created a mosquito that creates supposedly sterile offspring. Now, they had lied to the public over and over again in every country where they actually got a chance to release it. They said only the males are released, not the biting females. But it turns out that there may be a high percentage of biting females that are released because their sorting method is flawed. And they said the survival rate, there's no survival, so that there's no problem, it won't persist in nature, and yet between 3 and 18% can survive. Now, I talked to this... Uh, scientist, I think his name was Derek Nemo, and I and I was both, we were both testifying before the uh, the mosquito control board in Key West where they wanted to release the mosquitoes. And afterwards, I said to Derek, Derek, you know, the saliva of the mosquito gets into the bloodstream of a human. Have you tested the saliva of your genetically engineered mosquitoes? And he said, Well, we're just now doing a test to see if the protein produced by the inserted gene, gets expressed and is found in the saliva. Now, I'm thinking, you're a little late, Derek, because you've already released millions of biting mosquitoes in four countries. And then I said, you know something? When there was a study done on human genes, they found when they inserted a single gene, it changed up to 5% of the functioning genes' levels of expression. So you can have higher levels of toxins or allergens, genes shut off, genes switched on. Shouldn't you tech check the entire composition of the saliva of the mosquitoes? His response was classic. He said, "Good idea." So, so I don't trust these guys to to be in charge of the genome of our of nature. I don't want them to replace nature. I don't want them to impose their profit-driven motives on mosquitoes or anything with a technology that's known to create side effects. In fact, I interviewed a genetic engineer in Florida who found that when she tested her insects over 200 generations, the gene was stable. But when she introduced it into a, into a closed net area, it just took eight generations, and the trait was silenced, which shows that genes that are edited or changed are not stable over time. Not only can they simply just silence but they can switch. They might change the expression of other genes, in which case we're talking about random surprises that could affect health, that could affect the environment, that could affect uh, nature for all future generations.
0: Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.